Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here, and I just wanted to drop in for a quick second to tell you that this podcast is really gaining popularity, and in order for us to continue growing like this, I'd love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes. Plus, I'm always excited to hear feedback and continue to improve our content based on what you want to hear. I know I'm in. Are you? What was it like in the locker room with DeMarcus Cousins? Will the absence of Boogie give birth to a better Kings team? Why was the mixture of George Carl and DeMarcus Cousins so toxic? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Today I'm very pleased to have on friend of the program, James Ham, who's a Kings insider for CSN Bay Area. And uh, so James, uh, are you ready to uh, get down and boogie, oogie, oogie till we just can't boogie no more? Yeah, I'm kind of already to that point where you just can't boogie anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, the, the song was prophetic, apparently. So, you know, obviously that's what everyone's been talking about all weekend long. I mean, I, we did a, a big podcast on Monday about the trade itself. But um, I, I don't know. When did you start hearing the rumors that this might happen? You know, they kept this under lock and key until Sunday morning. Really, really tight-lipped uh, until Sunday morning. And, I mean, I, I started to hear a little bit of rumblings. I reached out to Cousins Camp, and the responses back were just like, we're sick. Uh, you know, we're just like, uh, just absolutely in shock. And then as it played out, you know, it was like, well, how close is this? And uh, I think it was it was probably about 2.30 in the afternoon on Sunday that I, uh, on Pacific Standard Time where I got uh, the, it's about 50-50. And then from there, it snowballed. It moved very quickly. Actually, I had um, just, the All-Star game was at 5, so I took my family to the uh, to the movies at 2 o'clock. We live about 20 minutes from the movie theater. Yeah. And uh, my wife and my boys went and sat down in the theater. I went to go get some popcorn and sodas. I, I sat all that down and was getting napkins at the little concession stand, and my phone just blows up. And I walk into the, a dark theater, set it down, whisper on my wife's ear, I've got to go. They're making a trade. I had to race home, write it go back and pick them up at the theater an hour and a half later. Uh, Just wild turn of events that I don't think anyone saw coming just because they were so dedicated to him. They had made so many statements saying like, look, it's not happening. He's not going anywhere. So just a a really strange turn of events. Um, You know, does this all center around Vivek's final stamp of approval? Like Vlade might have influence. He might be trying to do deals, but in the in the overall sense of things, nothing gets done without Vivek making the decision, right? Well, I think at the end of the day, any owner on any franchise cornerstone is going to have a major, major conversation. I mean, he's part of any conversation that's going to happen when you're talking about trading a guy or giving a guy $219 million. I mean, either way, you're going to have to go to the owner. Now, from what I know, uh, Vivek is really enamored with Buddy Heald. And, you know, I think Buddy Hield is a nice player. I, I don't I've never heard Vivek say the make the comparisons to Steph Curry. I have not heard that. Um, I do know that that's out there. But um, I, you know, honestly, Buddy Hield is a nice player. He's not Steph Curry. I don't think that anyone is going to 
um, you know, start making that comparison outside of maybe Vivek if he did make that. Um, but I think what happened here was management was kind of ready to move on for a while. And they knew that that the owner wanted to lock him up for an extension, so they had those conversations. But then they figured out that there was a little bit of weakness after the events uh, of February where DeMarcus had, you know, some some issues in February. And so when it got to the point, they knew that Buddy Heald was such a huge, uh, that he was so interested in Buddy Heald that they were able to kind of say, look, we can get you Buddy Heald. And it was like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll listen if you can get me Buddy Heald. And then it kind of snowballed from there. And I know that there was one other team involved um, I've heard that it was the Lakers and the Suns. There were two teams uh, that were involved, but one of those teams was out a little bit earlier, which I believe was the Lakers. Um, so it really came down to Sunday, you know, sort of two options, and they chose the one with Buddy Hield. And uh, and as soon as they could get that cleared through Vivek, they pulled the trigger on it and and made it happen because. Uh, Dan Fagan, Jared Akana, uh, Jared Akana were were making their own moves to to block this from happening, and so it became sort of an arms race to try to see who could get a deal done or a deal squashed quickly enough. And uh, and the Kings won um, at least the arms race part. We'll see what happens afterwards. Sure. And Dan Fagan being Boogie's agent. Yes. Okay. Um, just to wait, make sure we get all that clear now. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Dan Fagan and Jaron Akana are are Demarcus Cousins' representation. Yes. Um, yeah, and and they were not at all happy with the fact that their client went from a two hundred nineteen million dollar payday to he's owed eighteen million next season, and he can't sign an extension that's worth anything until after the season. So now you risk injury. Uh, plus, even at the end of the season, the best you could get is what 170 something million. So Cousins lost 40 plus million in the transaction by being traded. Uh, agents lost money on that transaction, and that's if Cousins ever actually gets that full extension, which is always a question mark. So uh, yeah, I mean it. It is a major, major blow financially to Cousins and his team, and you can see why they would be a little upset with it. Sure. Well, here's the interesting thing about this, because later on, when they were questioning Vlade, they asked him about the different deals he might have been able to get. And he he referenced one that was better from like the days before. And my sources, I kind of got I had this on Monday that it was actually another first round pick from New Orleans. And yeah. then apparently that was that was confirmed by Sam Amick yesterday. I, I guess I could have uh, I could have beaten everybody at that point, but nonetheless, <laughs> um, I, I, we're not in the breaking news business over here at B-Ball Breakdown. But uh, you know, what do you make of that? Is that has that really like a thing where he actually could have gotten two first rounders in that package, and they they pulled that when they when they they delayed the response? I suppose. Uh, it wasn't a delayed response issue. It was specifically the agent saying, we're not going to resign with you. If you trade for Cousins, you're costing him $40 million. We're not going to resign with you. And so then the package that you're getting for Cousins becomes exponentially less valuable. I mean, he, he's nowhere near as valuable if he's just a one-year rental versus a, a franchise cornerstone. And so when the hardball with the agents started, that's where you started to see these deals kind of dry up. Now, again, I've heard the same thing, that there was an additional first-round pick. But I've also heard that the Suns, 
who have a couple of really nice top tier picks were also involved in that as well. Um, you know, I don't know if there were two offers brought to Vivek like uh, what we've heard. I really do believe that it was centered around Buddy Heald and the package that they got for him. Just the package should have been bigger. And I think everyone understands that, that, um, you know, again, his value goes down as as his years of, of guarantee with your franchise goes down. And I think he'll probably sign there and probably be there long term. There's a chance for that. But I also know Cousins, and I also know that there's a chance that by, you know, the trade deadline next year, New Orleans could be in the same position that the Kings have been in for the last seven years, and they're on the outside looking in, and then what do you do then? Do you lock Cousins up and make him a cornerstone next to AD, or do you pull the plug on that situation then? And then, of course, do they get more of a package back than the Kings got? And then the Kings look bad like they did in the Isaiah Thomas deal where they basically traded him for an empty bag of chips and then the the Suns turn around and get a first-round pick for him. So, yeah, it's some it's a, it's a sordid mess. It is. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's you know, when you go around the league and you hear, uh, you know, sources or unnamed sources and GMs around the league, a lot of them, you kind of get the sense they would not touch Boogie. Um, and... I'm kind of curious, you know, I've been, and I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast, I've hinted at what it's like to be in a practice with Boogie Cousins, and I might even just burn it down and really give it some description here with you, but nonetheless, maybe you can just give us some insight into why there is probably a significant amount of GMs who simply would not want to even get in near their locker rooms. Well, I mean, I think really, and Again, I really like DeMarcus. Me and him have developed a really good relationship. I like him. I like his 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 management. Um, you know, he and I have conversations all the time off the record. I think he's, uh, you know, in the locker room, we have conversations. He's, he's actually a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is, you know, the other side to him. And, you know, I try to, when I look at this deal, I try to explain to people, like, look, we're seven years in. And he's 26 years old. And I'll be the first to tell you that uh, him as a 19-year-old was some of the worst stuff that I've, I've – well, it is the worst stuff I've seen. Um, you know, just the the blatant disrespect, the, the craziness that goes on behind the scenes. Um, you know, I know uh, the Kings used to have a media director named Darren May. And uh, Darren May is very, very respectful, uh, you know, 50s, early 50s, uh, African-American man, and he would wear black suits. And I know this sounds really small, but as a 19-year-old kid, DeMarcus would throw chalk balls at him when he wasn't looking, and his suit would have, like, white dots on the back of his suit. And I know that doesn't sound like much, but if you knew how respectful Darren was as a person— and you try to match that up with someone doing something like that to him, it just kind of sets a stage for the the entire seven years. And again, I'll, I'll tell you, he's so much better. He's he's grown up so much. And I, you know, in, in certain instances, you're kind of proud of him because I've been around him so much that I've watched the growth. And then I looked at it and I said, okay, I'm telling people that he's grown up and that he's so much better than he's ever been. And in this season alone, he got in a bar fight with Matt Barnes. He blew up not one, but three members of the media in Sacramento. One got caught on tape. The other two, I think one was partially caught on tape. So, But three members of media. Now, each of them were for different reasons. And 
you can look at each of those individually and say whether they were warranted or not warranted. Um, and then the technicals, 17 technical fouls. If the refs care that he's wearing a Pelicans jersey, they're just completely wrong. And, I mean, in all honesty, uh, he's going to pick up another tech between now and the end of the season, and he'll be suspended again. And then on top of that, we had the situation where he got fined by the NBA 25000 for yelling at a Warriors fan that was in the tunnel. Uh, and this... Uh, the worst part about this is the Kings met with him, like, I think it was around February 2nd, and they had a long conversation with him about sticking around. They were at his house. They said, look, we're we're going to give you a long-term deal. And, you know, from what I know in that conversation, it was, you know, we're each going to have some things that we want from this, but, you know, we need to work together. Cousins wanted a, a handshake deal on a no-trade uh, but then possibly the ability to leave after three years or four years if things were the same and they couldn't put a team around him. Um, and the Kings wanted his behavior to to get better. And, you know, so these are the things, you know, basically what happened was the Suns deal uh, basically surfaced and the Kings met with him to tell him we're not going to trade you, right? Um, so that was on a Thursday. Uh, they came out and played the Warriors uh, two days later. He picks up his 14th technical and then yells at the fan in the tunnel. Uh, the next game, they play the Chicago Bulls. He picks up his 15th and 16th technical and gets suspended. And the Kings just look at themselves, and at that point, they said, we're going to commit another six years not knowing what we're going to get on a nightly basis, except for really good play and then a lot of other stuff. And then on top of that, does he become untradeable? Because when he's making 40 or $50 million a year, how do you match salaries? Who will take him? You know, if you look at what they got from New Orleans, look at this deal if he's making $50 million a year or even $40 million a year. The Kings right. have to take back Ajinka. They've got to take back Ashik. They've got to take back every crappy contract that the Pelicans have. And then maybe they get an extra first-round pick, but now the Kings are cash-strapped because they had to make a deal that matched salary. And so it becomes a, a zero-sum game for them. They looked at it and they said, we have to either give him the money or we have to trade him now. And they chose the uh, the path that I did not believe they would choose. Right. They, they cured their boogie fever. I'm sorry. Yes. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I have a few more, but, uh, you know, we'll sprinkle them in. Um, you know, it's funny because, you know, like, like I was there at a practice during um, training camp. I don't know. Let's see. We're 27, 2016. So maybe like 2014, 2015, one of those years. And uh, I'm watching a, a practice at training camp. And, you know, in the middle of this whole thing, they're just doing like scrimmaging. They're playing whatever. It's like, remember, it's, it, the season hasn't even started yet. And he starts to go in on Ben McLemore. And literally just like, and it was, it was like there was a break, they were getting some water, and he just starts screaming at him. Like, and I, something to the, to the point, like, you can't dribble, stop trying to dribble. Like, it was, it was personal about skill, whatever. And I'm sitting there, and nobody was stepping in. Oh, this is when Mike Malone was still coach, and nobody yeah. was stepping in at all. They were just like, and he does it for like five minutes, and then just storms off, goes to the training room, wherever he goes, and then leaves, and everyone's kind of looking around. 
Um, and I'm kind of curious because we did you hear or am I am, am I imagining this? I feel like I heard some report about Nick Stauskas and how he like ruined Nick Stauskas. I can only imagine he probably did the same thing to him. But is do you have any? Is there any kind of news okay? About so that? I'll say this. Um, I think Stauskas you can put in in his own bubble. Uh, like I, I've dealt with all of these guys that the Kings have brought in, and, and Stauskas, um, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, some guys come into the league, and it's not as much about basketball as it, as it is about basketball lifestyle. And I don't know if Nick will become a player or not. Uh, he came in with this highly touted ability to shoot, and then he couldn't really do anything. And you could say that Stauskas was ruined, but, I mean, his confidence issues, certainly um, outwardly, he had zero confidence issues. Inwardly, you could see he was struggling with the fact that he couldn't find his shot at all. And you can blame that on Cousins or you you can't. Um, I, I would, I'll say this. Stauskas was in Sacramento for all of five minutes. And so if he wants to get blamed, if they want to blame him for the fact that he didn't become an NBA player, a reasonable NBA player, I think that's a little short-sighted. Now, Macklemore. I think is probably a better example. Jimmer Fredette is probably a better example. I think Tyreek Evans, the first time around, is probably a better example of the effect that he can have on a player. And uh, even this season, I mean, there's become there became like a cross eye with Aaron Aflalo, uh, where Aaron Aflalo started not hitting like wide open shots and he's the only one who's not hitting wide open shots. Everyone else is starting to get the flow and figure out that DeMarcus is becoming like the next generation of, of drawn kick Hakeem Olajuwon or, or, you know, feed the post and he's slinging the ball out of double teams. So even Aaron Aflalo, I could see was getting sort of beat down by the fact that Cousins doesn't like when you miss wide open shots. He doesn't like when you're not as dedicated to the game as he is. Now, Macklemore is an incredible kid who is, has a great spirit and is such a hard worker. But at the same time, he it's these players that the Kings brought in that have a, a common thread. They're nice kids. And if you bring in a bunch of nice kids and into an NBA locker room, there's going to be a veteran in almost any NBA locker room that's either going to put them their arm around them or eat them alive. I think maybe Cousins was a little bit more aggressive than most. I mean, I've heard the term bully thrown around, and I don't know that it's it's that. I mean, maybe it is. Uh, I don't want to call him a bully because I, I don't know that that's fair to you know categorize him as that and and not see the totalitar the to, the totality of what he does. Um, but I do know that there were times where Jimmer Fredette missed free th- uh, missed shots or took too many shots in the first half of a game, and he would walk in the locker room and just start screaming. And I do know that Isaiah Thomas uh, dropped, I, I think it was something like 24 in the first half of a game, and they go in the locker room and he's complaining about um, his his lack of shots. And, and Isaiah was like, hey, dude, we're up. Like, just just let us be, let us succeed, you know? So, I mean, there are all of these stories and I mean, there are a ton of stories. I mean, we could sit here all day long and talk about stories that we may or may not have heard about cousins, but at the end of the day, when you take him out of a locker room, I do know that I walked in and 
there was a freedom within not just the players because the players I, I mean even this season a lot of new players and a lot of them liked him but people who work with the team people who are in that locker room all the time people who are around them all the time there is a sense of relief and it's just because he's difficult and he's always been difficult and that's even like i said year seven him getting better he's still difficult and so yeah i mean the macklemore situation i think is probably the one you circle like again I, not to be rude to Nick Stauskas, but show me that Nick Stauskas could do something. I mean, he's been with the, the 76ers long enough to shake off anything that might have happened with DeMarcus Cousins, um, you know, in his one year in sack. Fair enough, fair enough. And yeah, and Macklemore, you're right. I mean, I had spoken to him after that practice, and he, you know, you, you can just get the sense that, you know, it's like if you want to treat this like a job— and you're going into work every day, and one of your coworkers likes to <laughs> scream at you from over at the cubicle next, you know, all the time. Like that, that is hard to sort of to, to make it work. You know, the funny thing is, is you know, nobody intentionally misses jump shots when they're open, right? It's no. like, and it's the, the last thing you'd want to do is, you know, scream at a guy, you know, to like, you're not playing hard enough, you're not like shooting hard enough, you're not, you know, I guess it's a concentration thing, but man, it's not easy. And so, um, you know, I think we could t- touch briefly on on what that sense is. Now you mentioned the sense of relief. Um, now, part of it, I guess, is because the swirling of rumors for all these years, uh, and not related just to Boogie, I suppose it's always the coach is always a swirling rumor. Um, but also, I have to imagine that just the absence of his presence, uh, you know, changes something. Did we see that? Was it a one-off last night? Or did we actually see something different now in the Kings? Well, I would love to tell you that that is the new Sacramento Kings and and just throw it out there that they're going to be this fun-loving, I don't even know what to describe them as. You know what, like I was sitting with uh, Doug Christie watching the game. We watch every game together because we're on the, the broadcast together and then we sit up and on our set and we look down over and we watch the game. And I said, this team, you know, it, it could just be a flash in the pan. But it could also be uh, the Miami Heat team from years ago when Karan Butler and Lamar Odom, they caught lightning in a bottle with a bunch of rookies and second-year players and all of a sudden were just super fun to watch. And Stan Van Gundy, I think, was a coach. And then Pat Riley said, hey, this is too cool, and stepped back into his role. Um, It could be that because this team is right there. And you have enough veterans on this team still – that are looking at the playoffs. I mean, again, they they beat Denver and they're a half game out. Denver had no idea what hit them last night. I mean, watching Denver was like, wait, we just watched the high post offense for every bit of footage we just we've ever seen of you, and you just ran a crazy, wild dribble dive motion for part of it. You you ran, uh, you know, all kinds of movement. Like, where in this, where in the world did this come from? Willie Cauley Stein going off for twenty nine points and just dunking. He made Jokic look like a joke. And I, I think when you look at it, they have pieces. They have a ton of top, top first round, you know, top ten picks. Uh, but can they put it together? I mean, Dave Yeager's a good coach, but this is on the fly. I mean, I don't know how you you piece this thing together and hold it together. I think the one thing that uh, will give them some confidence, they play a, a Charlotte Hornets team that's struggling big time, uh, who's lost, what, 12 out of 13, including an overtime loss last night. Um, 
Then they play the Nets coming up this week. They play the Timberwolves on Monday. I think the Nets on Wednesday. So you start to see where their schedule gets soft for at least a short stint. What if they do build some some sort of momentum? And the race for eight is wide open. I mean, you can look at what Dallas did, just kind of giving up. You can look at Minnesota didn't improve, and, and they've stumbled. Uh, you can argue that that uh, when Portland traded Plumlee, that they gave up on the season. And so all of these teams are just kind of sitting there, and the Kings have a draft pick they've got to worry about. But at some point as a franchise, you have to worry about building a culture of winning and say, I don't care that we might have to give up this pick to Chicago and just go for it. And I think that the players want that. We'll see what management wants. But when you see last night, they throw Scal LeBissier into the game, and he's played so little all season long. And he gets you 12 points and looks like this energizer bunny. And you're like, holy cow. I I mean, maybe you do have something here that they can build on. Yeah. I mean, I've always liked Willie Cauley-Stein. And um, I remember like, you know, you know, what's amazing about those draft day videos that come out or the the pre-draft videos, they they make every shot in those videos. It's amazing. They look like, you know, (laughs) Mike Schmitz. Yeah. You know, like as if they're edited or something, but still. um, But he 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 looked like I've always was enamored, but I really it's because of the defense and how he can move at seven feet tall and guard guards. So, you know, and it felt like he's never gotten the chance. And so, yeah, all of a sudden, you know, he'll probably – I'm sorry, I didn't even get a chance to see the game. I saw the, the box score. Did he start last night? No, he didn't even start. Costa Kufa started alongside uh, Anthony Tolliver. And I, you know what? The putback dunks, he's never attacked the, the glass. And then all of a sudden, Tyreek Evans misses a, a layup and dribbles off, and Willie Cauley-Stein flies in and hammers it home. You're like, wow, like confidence level – has gone through the roof. And maybe that is the DeMarcus Cousins effect. Maybe it is the fact that some players feel like they've been marginalized by Cousins or the franchise. And now it's all, it's no holds bar. I mean, again, we've seen the development of Ben McLemore this year, that, well, this last like month has been huge. But we're four years in. I mean, he it's either he does that or he's out of the league. And so now we're starting to see players. With freedom. I mean, that's what Willie talked about. I mean, it's free Willie. I mean, he talked about the freedom that he feels. And uh, I think it's great because Willie's been sort of labeled as this guy who is ambivalent about the game of basketball. I'll tell you this. That dude works so hard. It is crazy. I see him all day long working. He works with the assistants long after practice. He's working doing ball handling drills and pregame. He has put in the work. Ben McLemore has put in the work. And they're setting an example for all of these young players. I mean, the Kings have four first-round picks on the roster right now from the 2016 draft. And then McLemore and and Cauley-Stein. And then they have the potential to have two more picks and Bogdan Bogdanovich. So all of a sudden you've got eight players that are all under the age of 23, 24 that are all top, you know, well, they're all first-round picks. And who knows what you got. So uh, it's an intriguing time, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, you have the the sequel to Boogie Nights would be, um, oh my God, he just said it from Willie Collie uh Free Willie, excuse me. Yeah, Free Willie. Yes. So yeah. there we go. Who knows those those two movies? That would be an interesting double feature, by the way. I don't know if you could take your kids to it, but uh, maybe the first, the uh, the second movie. But <laughs> um, yeah, and and I assume that there's probably a version of Free Willie that is completely uh, yes. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. So exactly, that would be the sequel. To the, yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, at any rate, um, well, I mean, you're right, and you're right. It is exciting in some way. I know, even at my level, we when, we when we've had like a troubling but very talented player who we finally just say, you know what, it's just not working. Goodbye, and the team just takes off. And we had tried for so long, thinking that you need that kind of talent. And what you realize sometimes is that, yeah, you remove that source of all those issues and suddenly everyone else can kind of shine more than you ever would have thought. And by the way, wouldn't that be hilarious if if that happened and then all of a sudden now the Kings are the model for like uh, identifying talent? Yeah. And wouldn't it be shocking if the Pelicans do the same thing that the Sacramento Kings have done in the last seven years? And that is not win. And that is something that I think... I mean, I don't want to say that this pendulum is going to swing and the Kings are going to look like geniuses this summer. But if all of a sudden the Pelicans are the six, the number six pick in the NBA draft, and that's the Sacramento Kings pick, and they've got DeMarcus Cousins, and they're you know they they can't keep him long term, and you know then who looks like? That's why you have to look at these trades two, three years down the road. How good can Buddy Hill be? Uh, what what do you get with that pick? What do you get with the money you just saved from DeMarcus Cousins? What happens to the Pelicans? Uh, does DeMarcus have that same exact effect that he's had on all of these young players in Sacramento? Does he have that exact same effect on Anthony Davis? I mean, these are things that you have to look at as, uh, you know, the really the whole picture of DeMarcus and, um, and, and the whole picture of the trade. I mean, did, is it, uh, getting better by subtract addition by subtraction, and and I'm not going to say that right now. Uh, and again, I I like the guy, and I still see where if I'm the Kings, I don't know that I made the wrong decision. Sure, yeah. you know. Before I forget, I wanted to follow up really quickly on the, on yeah. the deal they were offering. Um, so is it is your timeline such that they the Pelicans offered the two first rounders, then they started to just inquire up to Boogie's agent about the possibilities of him re-signing, and they made it clear they wouldn't, and then they went back and said, okay, well, never mind, we'll offer you only one first rounder. Is that sort of how it worked? Yeah, from what I know, it was all it was all playing out on Saturday. Um, that that's the day that the Kings basically brought the trade to. Well, I don't even know if you can say that. That's the day that conversations began where his agents knew about what was happening. Okay. So so he was saying like the day before, two days before. So Friday, the Kings probably had a better deal. Hang on uh, a sec. Yeah, I mean, it's a very strange thing because as far as I can tell, this all-star <laughs> break uh, happened really late. I mean, rarely do we have an all-star break where there's only about 25 mm-hmm. games left in the season. And I think that th- that what throw that threw that off is that normally when it's earlier and all the GMs are hanging out that All Star weekend, then all those deals can kind of become you know real or not. And so that also tightened this weird deadline. It seemed like so. I think that might have exacerbated some stuff as well as far as like how this all went down. Uh, you know, the other offer that you know when they had sat down with Boogie and, and were des- describing offers and how they wanted to extend him and all that stuff. Like clearly, Boogie must have not have completely been trusting of the Kings since. It's been shown in the past that they've kind of gone against what they told them anyway, right? You know what? No. Um, <clears throat> that's kind of the strange, another nuance to DeMarcus. He has, uh, his his clothing brand is loyalty. I think it's loyalty exile. I don't know what the, the entire, I mean, he believes so firmly in loyalty. And I think he believed that Vivek Ranadive would never trade him, would never allow him to leave. And so I think he 
basically lived under that principle that it didn't matter how many GMs or how many coaches or whoever told him what he was always going to be there. And I mean, he loves the community of Sacramento. He's done great things in the community. He's a very generous guy. Uh, even things that people don't, you know, he doesn't want advertised. He's very generous. Um, but at the same time, I think there's there's always going to be a disconnect uh, that what loyalty means to him and what loyalty means to other people. And so if I'm the franchise and I you keep saying loyalty, 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 uh, like we've got to lock up forever here, and then on the same time, you're not willing to do the things to stay out of trouble, um, then are you showing us the same loyalty back? And that's something that... I don't think he will ever understand that it, he doesn't connect the two things um, that, you know, loyalty to him means one very basic thing and it doesn't extend beyond that. And so, again, he's he's a very intriguing dude and he's uh, he's very bright uh, and he he means well uh, most of the time, but he he doesn't get that. When you walk into a locker room and you're pissed because somebody stole a rebound from you and you're supposed to get the rebounds, you know, then that makes someone else feel like, man, is every time I go for a rebound, is that guy going to be yelling at me? Because that should have been his and I, I should have got out of the way. You know, what if somebody else grabs the rebound and all of a sudden he's yelling at me because I didn't grab the rebound and they got a rebound and scored. And so it, it puts this weird bubble around everyone that's there. And, uh, you know, he was a star, but at the same time, I, I mean, I can't, again, I can't tell you that this team will be better or worse without him. I just don't know. Well, as we start to wrap up, I would be remiss if I didn't ask a little bit about the George Carl experience uh, <laughs> with Boogie as well. And you know, I'm not even sure where I would even jump in because it was, you know, a short-lived time, but... I don't know. Is there an interesting story that you want to share with us that was maybe somewhat dramatic or, I don't know, interesting between maybe Boogie and George Carl that was indicative of their relationship? Is that too, well, is that too general a question? Yeah, I mean, I think we dealt with the George Carl situation almost on a daily basis. And you know what? I think this probably plays into a larger conversation, too, where I can, you know— People say, oh, the Kings have had six coaches. And I can honestly tell you, you know, during DeMarcus Cousins' era, uh, DeMarcus did everything in his power to not work with Paul Westfall. They could not get along. He still won't even mention Paul Westfall's name. Uh, Paul Westfall won't even give you a no comment because no comment to Paul Westfall means it's a comment about DeMarcus Cousins. Um, there was a situation later on where DeMarcus. Uh, had issues with uh, with Westfall when they were in China, and Westfall was filling in for Lionel Hollins on the sidelines. And it was not good. Uh, again, and that's all, you know, Demarcus kind of doing his thing. Um, Key Smart, he had lost the room, but on top of that, Key Smart was uh, lost in an ownership shuffle. But Michael Malone is the one guy that you can say that he loved, and that he would have gone to battle for for anything and, and done whatever he could. But again, Tyrone Corbin, Cousins and that team quit on Tyrone Corbin. Uh, Cousins and that team quit on George Carl last year, the last 35 games of the year. They quit. And I mean, I can't say it any other way. The Kings were 20 and 23. They had the they had the uh, eight spot in the playoffs in January of last year. They lost five straight after that. The 
were told that George Carl was being fired. He wasn't fired. And they just absolutely shut it down and said, okay, you know, Rondo and Cousins took turns sitting out games to rest. And the game, the teams won 33 games. And I don't even know what the playoffs, what the playoff team was last year, but it was barely above 500. They easily could have been in the conversation and they just quit. And so that's the George Carl situation was horrible from the beginning. George decided to make his own way. Uh, and, and tried to trade DeMarcus. Uh, he tried to shop him around the league without any approval, and that just set the whole thing off. I know the, the most awkward night um, was a night that uh, that George had done something that DeMarcus didn't like on the sidelines. Uh, they went in the locker room, and he blew George up so badly. Uh, I mean, the entire team was sitting there. And that's the thing. George is known for his temperament and for for doing whatever he wants and saying whatever he wants. And he got a dose of it himself. He's never run into DeMarcus Cousins. And uh, even though, you know, he's dealt with some guys, some characters, I don't think he ever, ever ran into anything like that. And then as soon as they were done yelling and screaming at him, we walk in the locker room 20 minutes later than normal, and it's dead quiet, and everyone's looking at us like, oh, my gosh, things just got crazy. And then... Vlade and Favek walk in with Drake at this very moment. Drake, the I don't want to the grassy star. I'll, I'll call him. <laughs> um, okay. And things go even more strange. I mean, just this is the world that we lived in during that era, where just there was no nothing was too strange. Nothing was. I mean, always stranger than fiction. I mean, you could not write it ever. And so, like, while I had plenty of issues with George, um, trying to manipulate, trying to bully multiple times, uh, not liking things that I wrote, uh, being beyond rude, waiting till cameras were rolling to call me an a-hole, um, you know, multiple times having issues with him, uh, I also know that on the backside, uh, behind the scenes, there was very little left of him as a coach. He had his assistants running almost everything, and on top of that, he he met his match, and I don't think he ever thought he would meet his match, someone that could yell louder or be more forceful or swing a bigger stick, and he met his match, and so in the end, um, you know, George the George Carl era should have never happened in Sacramento, uh, and everyone at this point, they know that. They're still paying George, um, but, you know, the, the Kings were... Really, the only opportunity they had to put this thing on the right path and to keep it going was the Michael Malone era, and they made their own mistake there. And after that, it's sort of whatever happens, happens. And I think Jaeger could have done good things with Cousins, but I also know that Jaeger probably knew that this was a huge, huge potential that he would be coaching this next season without Cousins. Okay, wow, that that's a, a lot of stuff that you just laid out there for us, and really Sorry. interesting. Uh, <laughs> I mean. Uh, it's funny because obviously when you saw, it's almost like it should be in the contract of a, of a head coach in the NBA that in the fine print you are going to be criticized and called all manner of things and you must accept that that's the, the, the reality of your situation and yet it still kind of boggles my mind when we've seen like Randy Whitman go off on reporters and you know in George Carl uh, I mean what like why would he want to call you an asshole what was like what could possibly have been so wrong with what you wrote that got him so mad he didn't like an analytics piece, and I questioned his eye as a basketball guru 
over the analytics of starting Rudy Gay at the power forward next to with well I just it was uh, the analytics piece he didn't like the analytics he said I know basketball better than any of your analytics and I said and he said you can make numbers say whatever you want and I'm like yes yes all of that's true but if you read the piece I uh, I left it to interpretation it was if you play these three players together the stats show that every single time they run a negative this. You know, your best two-man sets, your best five-man sets, you know, you're doing good things, but at the same time, you're also killing your team with some, some of these sets that just aren't working. Um, and, you know, there was a contentious relationship the entire time because he was trying to get his team to buy into, you know, switching on every single possession on defense. His team's giving up, you know, 30 makes a night. Well, I mean, not 30 makes, 30, 40, three-point attempts a night because mm-hmm. teams are just teeing off on them. And you, you had teams that come in averaging nine three-pointers a game, and they knock down 18. Uh, you know, that's what the George Carl era was like on the defensive side. Now, as far as the offensive side, everyone ate, and they were, they were excited, and, you know, they liked playing that style. But, you know, they're just the Kings kept losing because they played no defense at all. It's kind of like what Michael Malone is dealing with right now in, in Denver, where you got a team that can score 112 a night, but they can't not give up 113. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, George was an interesting character. And honestly, I loved before he was a Kings coach. I loved when George Carl would come through town. Um, he gave you such great que- uh, answers to your question. He looked you in the eye. Um, but you know, when he was there every day, it was different. And uh, it was his brand of basketball and trying to trying to teach you his brand of basketball and why he was right and everyone else was wrong, even while the losses were piling up and he was losing the room. So, you know, you got to be honest when you're writing about it and when you're, you're sitting there reporting it, you got to be as honest as you can. And uh, he didn't like that. Yeah. And, you know, we're in an interesting time right now because for so long in the NBA, the, a certain type of coach had been recycled over and over again. George Carl is sort of the epitome of that. You're talking about even like Lionel Hollins and then back mm-hmm. Bill, Bill Fitch is a good example. And, you know, the, the funny thing about that, even like Byron Scott kind of falls into that category. And then um, uh, the guy who uh, just got fired before uh, Tibbs. Um, Sam Mitchell, uh, oh, yeah. you know, there's a certain, you know, either former player or a certain era where, you know, so much has been learned about the game. And it's not just analytics. It's actually the fundamentals as well, where you got to wonder, like, when's the last time this guy's like gone to a coaching clinic and seen cutting edge stuff that people are doing like in Europe or doing, you know, in other places and, and you know, or lower levels that really could affect the way you coach the game now. Um, and then, you know, it, it kind of gets confirmed when you hear them talk about that or criticize guys who write about it. Uh, you can kind of tell if they, they haven't moved on or, you know, when you're a doctor, you have to every year or whatever, two years, you know, continually uh, learn new things. Right. You can't keep prescribing the same stuff if it's changed over the years. So anyway, uh, the point being that uh, I think certain coaches, it's like we're going to that's going to go away. We are now in the death throes of that kind of coach. And, um, you know, all these younger coaches that are coming in seem like they have a better grip of that. The only thing they might not have, though, is that sort of enable ability to control the room and you yeah. know, and and have that kind of command. Now, do you think that Dave Yeager has that? Does is he go in there and and people are like snapping their heads and being like, yeah, yes, coach, yes, coach. Yeah, he has an ability to to own the room. I believe. I, I think he his players love him and mm-hmm. they'll fall in line behind him. Um, I haven't had anyone complain. 
uh, except for maybe Omri Caspi, who had issues with Jaeger, uh, and that was, you know, his own things um, and injuries and illnesses and, you know, setbacks. And then, unfortunately, he goes to the Pelicans and breaks his thumb on the first night. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that he's the only one that I heard any gripes at all from. And, uh, and I think that was just sort of a what it really comes down to is that Dave had really put a lot of stock in his relationship with Matt Barnes and Omri Caspi was like, look, I'm a free agent. I have at the end of the year, I averaged 12 points and five and a half rebounds off the bench last year, shot over 40% from three for the last two years. And I just lost all of my minutes to a 36, almost 37 year old dude. Um, you know, I want to be here forever and you're choosing him over me. And so there was some, some stuff there, but I think overall, Jaeger, I mean, you saw last year with his team falling in line and him, what did he have, 25, 26 players throughout the season? He, he basically cycled through D-League players the entire second half and still managed to somehow coast his team in uh, to the playoffs. And I think you're seeing that right now. I mean, I think the Kings are still on board with what he's preaching. And again, whether management likes it or not, you know, they're main objective is to make the playoffs and if the management didn't they wanted to end all of that talk they should have traded Costa Cupis they should have traded Darren Collison at the trade deadline and really took all of their ability to manage this gut gutted the team fully but now you leave the door open for this team to rally and you never know so to make a long story short yes I, I think Dave Yeager can can do a little bit of everything he can manage both the players and he can do the X's and O's <clears throat> as far as analytics. I don't know that he's an analytics guy fully, fully, but the Kings have guys on, on staff. I mean, they've got Roland beach from 82 games.com. I mean, right. They've got, they've got guys there to work that, that side. And hopefully, I mean, clearly he doesn't buy in fully because he ran Costa Kufis and Marcus cousins out there as starters together almost the entire season knowing that that combination really, really set them back and get got them in huge deficits. But it was his style of play. So, yeah, I, I don't know what to make of it. I just know that it's a lot more stable under Jaeger, and he's going to be here for three or four years, where I never felt that with almost anyone other than Michael Malone. And they cut him out, what, 24 games into a second season. Yeah, really a too bad, Bell. Well, listen, this was as thorough and insider-y of a, of a King's take as we've, as we've heard. Fantastic stuff from you, James. Uh, you are my boogeyman. <laughs> and uh, this, was a, this was a boogie wonderland, I suppose. So, um, yeah, there I'm we go. Done. Done you're done. This. You're done with your your puns. Yeah, I am. Yes. So uh, you know, well, listen, the '70s was a long time ago. I unfortunately I remember them. So um, at any rate, well, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and breaking this stuff down. And you're right, I am all in. I cannot wait to watch the last you know few games of the season because uh, wouldn't it be crazy if they're the one if the Kings take that A spot and the Pelicans don't? Yeah, I think it would be spectacular. And I, I mean, as someone who's covered this team for seven years and the best season, the best season. I watched 49 losses. I mean, 33 wins is the best year. It's been brutal, and Kings fans deserve so much better. Watching them show up last night, so much angst, so much anger over the Cousins thing. But as soon as Tyreek Evans walks on the floor, standing ovation. As soon as Buddy Heald walks on the floor, standing ovation. When that team was fighting and, and destroying Denver in the fourth quarter, the fans never sat down. I wow. mean, to watch that especially after a week that they've been through where their star just got dealt uh, 
um, for what most people believe is undervalued. Um, kudos to Kings fans. You know, I, I you know, I tweeted out, I, I love Kings fans. Uh, something that like, um, oh, the, uh, the passion, like, uh, like the struggle is real. I mean, these people just keep coming back for more. And I think that's something Tyreek walked in the building is like, oh man, best fans in, in the world. He's like, I, I forgot, you know, how good these fans were. You see Buddy Hill's like eyes light up like, what in the world did I, am I back at OU? What in the world did I just see? These fans were nuts. And I think they deserve it. They deserve something like this. And and again, I, I hope I'm not too harsh on Demarcus. I, I, I love the guy. Uh, I wish him nothing but the best. And I don't know that the Kings did right or wrong here. I just know that at some point you got to do different. And that's what they just did. So uh, crazy times in Sacramento. Absolutely crazy times. Well, again, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, we'll have to have you back again at some point in the near future. And uh, don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, James? I'm in, Coach Nick. <laughs>